everyone. Welcome to HubShots episode 136. We talk about Zoho reports, chatbots, lead flows, and the future of Google. You're listening to Apex number one HubSpot focused podcast where we discuss HubSpot tips, tricks, and new features and strategies for growing your marketing results. We hope you enjoyed the podcast as much as HubSpot CEO Brian Halligan does. Thanks for creating this podcast. It's awesome. I listen to it on the weekends and I really enjoy it. My name is Ian Jacob from Search and Be Found and with me is my co-host Craig Belly from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? You're really good. And you know, the only thing missing from that title for the episode is artificial intelligence. And then we'd basically have all the buzzwords. And machine learning. We'd have all the buzzwords covered, wouldn't we? But yeah, look, tons of exciting stuff to get through. Let's start with a community item though. So we had the HubSpot user group in Sydney a week ago. And it was a great event, actually. Great food, great company. It was great to see some people back, and but lots of new people. So, you know, that was really good to see. We had a Q&A session. Now, in that Q&A session, we had Lauren Scott, who's a principal sales engineer at HubSpot, and he actually explained during the night what are some of the product releases that have actually happened during Inbound. And he was, he was kind enough, even actually during Inbound, to actually run a session for partners like us to actually explain after Chris O'Donnell had actually given the whole spiel about what does it mean practically for all of us. So that was really great. So thank you, Lauren, for that. There was something that he said when we asked him about where do you see the future of HubSpot? What did he say, Craig? Well, he was talking about the fact that HubSpot's a platform, right? So it's a tool for doing stuff and it's definitely a platform that people use, but where they're going is more, they want to become more of a platform that you build on. So that's not just integration. It's actually, I guess, a richer set of developer tools on the back end for building directly on top of HubSpot. And I guess we can see that coming, right? And I think it was really useful for him to highlight that. I just want to talk about Lauren, though, because I want to give him a shout out. I thought he was very good on the night. Very thoughtful guy, obviously smart, but just well considered in what he said. Doesn't hype the stuff up. The fact that he's got sales in his title, sales engineer. He's actually an engineer, and so, yeah, really valuable to listen to. So, yeah, big thank you to Lauren. Echo your statements from earlier. All right, on to our HubSpot marketing feature of the week, Craig. And don't you know, we love lead flows, and there's some lead flow improvements that have taken place. So, in particular, you can pre-select some stuff that are actually in lead flows now. So, one of the things is actually passing them into Salesforce, and the other part is actually passing them into GoToWebinar so you can do some webinar registration. Am I right? Yeah, book a webinar right from the lead flow. I think this is really cool. Actually, we're seeing other things coming as well that, you know, you'll be able to have calendar links and meeting links and all these kinds of things happening with forms and the way people interact with you on mm. on the site. So that's throughout the product it's coming. Yeah, but also just pre-selecting fields, you know, drop down, pre-select it um, so that people change. Just nice little tweaks. I think it's really interesting that the focus they're putting on lead flows, they seem to be improving every week. Well, that's what it seems to me. I mean, we, we love lead flows, right? There's one part of lead flows that I think's missing. And so this is a wish list item, I guess. I should add it to the community side, yeah. I guess. We'll come to that in a second. But I'd really like to be able to target lead flows based on more than just URL. I'd like to be able to base it on the contact if it's a known contact. And in fact, I've included the screenshot from targeted messages because now with bots, you can do that. You can say, here's the audience to show this bot to. I love the same functionality for lead flows. For example, show this lead flow on this URL, but only to this list. 
Because if I know them, I might offer them something different. So if they're in a list that's already downloaded this particular white paper, then this lead flow can just promoting that white paper. So getting it more personalized, I'm sure that's coming. It's going to be a pretty simple addition to the lead flow targeting. So I think you're right. Based on messaging, this would probably be the next step that I would expect to see with the lead flow. And you know what? It works. I can honestly say I shared, I shared this at HubSpot user group. There was a customer that we were doing some work for and they wanted to get some brochure downloads happening for a new home design that they had. And a couple of days there was nothing. And I said, oh, let's create a lead flow. So when people scroll to the bottom, you know, they get off in the brochure. Sure enough, I said, she goes, do you reckon this will work? I said, I'm pretty sure that by the time I leave here and by the time the day is over, and this is in the morning, I'm pretty sure we'll have something. Sure enough, an hour later after I'd left their office and gone to my desk, they already had one person, and I think there's been two ever since every day. So it does work. It does work. They're really good. Targeted. Well, actually explain what you mean by targeting in that case. You're not talking about targeting which page it's on, but you're talking about targeting the offer for that it's displayed on. So this offer was very specific to the page that the person is on. And I think that is why it works. And that folks is really the takeaway from this. Actually, we should do a survey. What's your lead flow usage like? A, I don't use them at all. B, I just have one lead flow site-wide. Well, it's better than nothing. But C, I tailor my lead flows for the pages they're on, and that's when you get the biggest conversion rates. Yeah, absolutely. Better still, take a picture of those conversion rates and post it online and tag us. Yeah, if you're getting more than 20% conversions on a lead flow, I'd love to see it. It's possible, folks. Send us your photos. All right, Craig, now onto our HubSpot gotcha of the week. And this is to do with HubSpot branding on a bot chat transcripts. Yeah, so I've been, well, as you know, I've been playing with bots a lot, but um, I, I like them. There's good and bad. Here's a bad thing. So, you know, when you have a chat interaction with someone on your site, if you've asked for their email address and they've given it to you and so you're a known contact, you get sent a chat transcript by email afterwards. So you might think, oh, that's good. Well, it could be good. But here's the bad thing. You have no control over the formatting of that email. And in fact, it's worse. Right on the bottom of the email is a big fat HubSpot logo and branding, right? So even in an enterprise portal like we've got that sends out a chat transcript just promoting HubSpot. Anyway, why is this bad? Well, one of our clients during the week, they've actually chosen Drift over HubSpot conversations purely because of this. Wow. Yeah, just the fact that they're, you know, they're a legal site and for someone to come on, chat with them and that, okay, great, the chat works. And then to get an email, oh, thanks, here's your chat script, HubSpot. They're like, what? Yeah. And you can't turn it off. Now, what we have included in the show notes is two community links where people are saying, look, this has got to be turned off. And I guess we just want to flag that as well. Go and vote those up because it's a really odd thing for HubSpot to do that. You know, if it was just on the free version, yeah, I could understand it. But, you know, pro on enterprise to be having that, yeah. I think someone forgot, Craig. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it seems pretty deliberate. All right, so the gotcha follow-up from episode 135, Craig. Oh, okay. So last episode I was telling you about a HubSpot gotcha and what it was is I was building a bot and it was a blog subscription, subscription. block. So, you know, you're on the site. You Say you're on a blog, it just pops up. Hi, I'm on the blog bot. Would you like to subscribe to receive updates? 
And what I highlighted last episode was if you're a contact and you've previously unsubscribed, like you've opted out of emails, if you go and say, oh, yeah, I'd like to, and you put in your email, the bot just crashes. <clears throat> Technical error. Anyway, so I logged it with customer support. To their credit, within a day or two, I get a reply, hi, it's fixed. So, by the way, if you listened to 135 recently and you tried to reproduce it, you can't now because they've fixed it. They've fixed the error. But I was like, oh, great, thanks. Um, how have you fixed it? Oh, now, if they've unsubscribed out, we just bypass that and drop them out of the bot. I'm like, uh, okay, well, that's kind of a bad experience. Wouldn't it be better that it works like forms do? When you try and sign up on a form, if you've opted out, it says, oh, you've previously opted out. We'd like to opt back in. So anyway, I sent that reply to them. Anyway, I've got a screenshot in the show notes. <laughs> they gave me the politest possible, no, nah, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so I put that. So, so I think the thing is, if you're from HubSpot and you're listening to this, maybe go check it out and see how you can improve that bit of the chain when it comes to having to resubscribe from the chatbot. Yeah. Thanks for getting rid of the error and yes. so quickly. That's good. You know, I want to talk about HubSpot support. Like I've been logging a lot of tickets lately with bugs I've found. Yes. Like we had another one with when you have a Shopify integration and you're using multi-currency, you couldn't actually apply those products to deals. It just bombed out, right? So I raised the support ticket. I think it was within a day. I got a reply back from product support. Well, we fixed it. So they're pretty responsive, which yes. is good for you know, a billion, yeah, dollar, yeah, a billion dollar company if that's some small SaaS startup, okay. But we get used to, oh, yeah, that's on the, you know, it's on the backlog. We'll let you know. Thanks. Yes. Unheard of ever again. But no, they're pretty quick and responsive. I hope that doesn't change as they get too big. Thank you, Damesh. Thank you, Damesh. All right, on to our marketing tip of the week, Craig. Now, this week, I want to highlight there's some training in the HubSpot Academy that's available to everybody, be it a HubSpot user or not a HubSpot user, and it's about the fundamentals of conversational growth strategy. Now, within here, you can learn the fundamentals of one-to-one messaging strategy and how to develop a plan for your business. I think it should be easily done in a day. I've just started. I haven't actually finished it. Uh, It has three lessons in there and a total video length. If you want to watch all the videos and learn, it's 57 minutes worth of video content. So the challenge to people is how do you stay abreast of all this stuff Here's a great resource to actually learn and further your understanding of how you can actually use this in your business. Because across the board, I actually don't see people using this. Like people say that they know stuff about it or they claim to know stuff, but I don't see anybody doing it or using it. Well, well, very quickly, what is conversational growth? It's mainly to do with one-to-one messaging. Right. So, so it's really about it's taking on from the thing about the chatbots, right? So how do we set that up? What does that mean for your business? How will it work? In what scenarios will it work? So, you know, we can launch chats off the service side. We can launch it off for the sales side. We can launch it off different parts, right? Based on where you are, do you belong to the list, et cetera. So I think it's a really key thing about understanding what that is and how that fits with your business because I see opportunity everywhere. But again, like we have discovered while trying to implement, we get to many hurdles where we've got to jump over them. So... I think it's it's important, and I, I guess I'll talk more about this once I finish the yeah, training. Yeah, nice one. See, I'm falling behind on this stuff. I've got to catch up on this stuff as well. So that's great. Thanks for that. And, you know, I'll just say when you said, oh, it's 57 minutes of video content, straight away. <laughs> oh, actually, at straight, one and a half speed. Exactly. Straight away I go, oh, okay, so 40 minutes of content strategy. That's yeah. right. Exactly. I think what I love about the new academy setup is that they've broken it down into lessons. So you don't have to actually get through everything. If you want to start, do one part 
of that lesson or do one lesson out of that chunk, you can. So you can really break it down and get through stuff. How do you find the academy like as a user experience now? To be honest, I've only done one thing since it's kind of been transitioned to the new format. Yeah. And I kind of did that all in the one sitting i haven't gone through i'm about to go through to do our partner certification again yeah so i'll get more in depth into this but yeah look it's changed is it good i don't know (laughs) i find it confusing you know i feel it's like a sea of different snippets well the thing is there's a lot of stuff right yeah so that's exactly it it's a a lot of different stuff and you can digest it in a very different manner Mm. now whereas i felt before you know you had to you either did this piece of learning, which was you had to do all of inbound, right? Whereas now we know inbound might have 10 lessons, for example. I I don't know how many lessons there are in there. There are 10 lessons. Now, if you choose to pick lesson one, five, seven, because that's what I'm interested in, or that's where I'm really weak in, you can do that. You can actually go through and do those lessons. Yeah, I get that. And I can see that as useful, especially how, you know, they've added links to each. You can add a link to an individual lesson as part of those checklists in projects and things. like. I think that's really good. I think it's just the navigating, getting into it that I'm finding confusing. I don't mind the bite-sized chunks. I think yes. that's a good idea, but actually on the surface, navigate, yeah, yeah, navigating yeah. it to so the I think top that, level. Yeah, that has changed considerably. Yeah. Once you click through into the lesson, it kind of looks all familiar where you yeah. have everything down the left-hand side with the video and everything. Mm. I still love that layout in terms of what it get, gets mm. us. All right. On to our HubSpot sales feature of the week, Craig. Now, I spoke about this a couple of episodes ago, but it's to do the Zoho Reports integration. At the time I have started using this, we hadn't finished working with it. I've started, I haven't fully finished working with it again. I'm still working with it, but I've used it enough to actually get um, get some results with it. So one of the reasons we used this originally was to actually get a really detailed weekly sales report for a customer of ours that actually they use in their sales meeting and it's based on their lead status and when the lead was created. So they were really clear about needs to be sorted by create date and lead status, right? Now, if you create a view in HubSpot to do the same thing, you can't obviously sort by those two columns. You can sort only by one or filter through one. The next thing is you can't create a PDF. So they used to get a PDF out of Zoho, which they used to use originally. And so they had this nice, clean PDF, nicely formatted, you know. And then when I tried to do that in HubSpot, that went belly up. (laughs) So I had to look for a solution. And this was a solution. So what it enabled us to do is actually put the data into the Zoho reporting platform. So the sync happens once a day, I think. When, When you set it up, you choose when it can sync. And then what we did is we got a query, we wrote a query to pick up exactly the data we wanted in this report. So when we generate it, it'll automatically generate the PDF and I can email it out at a particular time of the day. So that's essentially how we solved that problem. There are many other things that it can do, like this day, which I haven't done, but it says you can keep track of your sales performance metrics by using the 60 plus reports and dashboards to measure sales team performance and more. And this is all within Zoho. And I actually saw all those reports, but I actually didn't run any of those because our customer is not using deals as yet. So really it's basic uh, customer data that was coming in. And what I needed to get out was that customer data based on the lead status and create dates. So. Mm, cool. And did you, I remember we were chatting about it a couple of weeks ago, did you use pivot tables at all? Because that was one of the features where you could use pivot tables on HubSpot data, which was, I thought, wow, that'll be really cool. In this instance, no, because of 
all the data being within the contact record. Mm. I guess if I had all the deal records and stuff, yes, that would have been the case. But I've got a screenshot. You can do some pretty cool things in there. And there's, I think what was really good in there was that there was a whole bunch of pre-built things that you could actually, I think that's once right. the data's in, yeah, get you can actually get quickly. out really yeah. quickly. And it's obviously great for sales teams, the fact that you can do it. It'd be interesting to have, have you played with um, the new custom reports in HubSpot since playing with Zoho? Oh, a little bit. Yeah. Not, not totally. So I'm really interested to see where customer, I haven't spent that much time in custom reports yeah. yet. I, I, you know, I plan to spend a bit of time on that, but I'm just interested to see where that's going because okay. especially now oh, we've got it enabled in our portal. I don't know if you've got this where you can um, uh, join objects like deals with contacts. That's I think you, oh. you yeah it's it, it's in beta yet. Okay, so we're just kind of starting to play with it. But joining two kind of sets of objects yeah, and correct. then reporting on yep, it, I think yep. that's really useful. And yes. that was one of the key things that you were looking at here for Zoho reports. Um, how do you find the Zoho reports interface? Is it a bit clunky? It is a little bit clunky. Yeah, it doesn't have the slickness. Of there is spot, there is actually a new interface version. That oh, has just okay. been released in beta, which I tried out or enabled yesterday. So I'm just going to continue to play with it. But you know what? It solved the problem that I had, yeah, <laughs> which is well, what I was after. It looks really, it looks really powerful, even though it's clunky. It looks really powerful, and, that, and especially pivot tables. I just okay. kind of think that is super powerful. Yeah. All right, Craig. On to our opinion of the week. All right. Um, you know how we say test and measure. Yes. Well, I want to highlight this article from Google. And it's on the Google blog and they're talking about improving search for the next 20 years. So Google's been around for 20 years, you know. Anyway, um, this guy was talking about, you know, some of the changes that's happened with Google over the last decades. And then, of course, um, the future. It's well worth a read. And we've pulled out a few things in the show notes. I don't have time to go through that now. But the one key thing I wanted to mention, last year alone, we ran more than 200,000 experiments that resulted in 2,400 changes to search to their algorithm, basically. So they're saying for every one in 100 experiments, they're actually, that's actually changing their search results. So a couple of things, just absorb that, right? A couple of things, 200,000 experiments. So obviously there'd be minor tweaks here and there. It's all about test and measure. And what I find interesting about this is, well, 99 of those experiments led to no change. Possibly it reduced the results, so no, we're not applying okay. that. But one in 100. So this is it. And you might say, oh, well, that's pretty finicky. Why would they do that? Well, because they are the global <laughs> dominating <laughs> force in search, right? And this is what these companies have to do to stay on top of things. We're going to talk a bit more about Google and in search intent a little bit later in the show. But this is it, test and measure. If you want any better reason why that should be part of your process, test and measure. It's because if a company like Google does it, obviously you're not going to do it at their scale, but you can do it with their attitude. Next shot is the misleading headline of the week, Craig. What is this misleading headline? It was to do with an article that you found and it says Facebook outage causes news sites to increase their traffic. Yeah, so this was from Quartz.com, normally a reputable site, I have to say, but yeah. A bit what do you a, mean normally a reputable site? Well, actually, I would read their articles quite regularly for, yeah. you know, I trustworthy, I guess. Yeah. I just thought this headline was a bit sensational. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, the point, the, I'll give you the context very briefly. So HubSpot had an outage. I mean, <gasps> Facebook. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Actually, HubSpot had an outage, but anyway, Facebook. Wow, how did I do that? Facebook had an outage 
I know, shocking, for 45 minutes back in August, right? And so, of course, where do people go to complain about? Well, they go to Twitter to complain that Facebook's, you know, can't get on, you know, because that's what we do, right? Anyway, what they, Chartbeat did, which is an analytics tool used by a lot of news sites, they measured the impact on this. And they basically, because they're across 4,000 of the major news publications, they saw when the Facebook outage happened for those 45 minutes, obviously traffic from Facebook dropped. Yes. Because it was outage almost globally, I think. Mm. And then they said, well, what's the traffic to these sites? And they noticed, well, search, organic traffic and direct traffic to the sites spiked. So their point or what they were highlighting is, well, when news publishers couldn't get there, from Facebook, they found other ways to do it. And so the reason that it's misleading is because the article's almost saying, oh, look, people aren't wasting their time on Facebook. They're actually going to view the news. But actually, and then Thomas Bakedall, uh, who I follow on um, Twitter, he's jumped in and said, yeah, well, actually it looks like what they picked up was less than what they lost on social. So actually social does impact them. They get more traffic from social. Then the great thing about Twitter is the CEO of Chartbeat jumped on to Twitter thread and said, well, actually it turned out with various factors and that that they got a little bit more. But here's the takeaway, right? Here's my interpretation of it. Put aside that misleading headline. My interpretation is that people want their news, okay, but they will choose the avenue that is easiest to or, get to the news or with the least friction or, to use Brian Halligan's term from his keynote, the lightest avenue for getting to the news. So it's not as though Facebook is like, ah, oh, we just waste our time to re- don't read the news. It's actually that Facebook is a great way to get the news and the traffic to the sites. And then, of course, when the outage, you know, was fixed and went back up, all the traffic returned to normal. So it's not like their behaviour changed because they're like, oh, I couldn't get on Facebook, I'll change my behaviour, I'll go with organic and I'll stick to doing it like this. It's like, no, as soon as Facebook came back, I'll resume my normal behaviour because that was easiest and frictionless for me. So the takeaway, of course, is, well, user experience matters Mm. and you need to be the easiest way to get the result that people are after or you will not survive. All right, Craig, our resource of the week this week. This is how Google changes the ranking results based on what it thinks people are searching for at the time. And this is interesting. And this is from Rainer Economics. Yeah, a good article. Read the whole thing. I'm just going to pull out a few of the early Give us, give us the gold out of that. Yeah, so, article. well, first of all, think of this concept. I mean, we discussed this before and it's... Well, it might be obvious to people, but this idea that Google will change its search results based on, let's say, seasonality as a first thing. Yep. So during the year, as season, as time change, Google will show different results for some keywords because people's intent around that time might change. And so something like Halloween, people might be after, you know, generic items, but they'll show e-commerce sites or whatever. It'll yep. change. But yep. then after that event they'll fall out of the rankings, right? Now, this might actually be surprising to some people because they don't realise that there's this intent base that Google's going after. So Google's saying, I think people are searching for this, even though they're using this keyword, I think they're searching for this at this time of the year rather than that. Correct. And so the, the trap is that people will go, oh, my, my rankings were improving at this. Oh, and then they dropped off. I've been penalised. Oh, no, what's going on? No, no, just people's intent changed and your site wasn't the best result for that intent at the time. Okay, so that's one thing, right, which is useful for people to consider because sometimes I think people think, oh, we've got this ranking and it's static all year round, yeah, you know, happy no. days. That's not the case. The second thing, though, and this is the most important thing, 
out of the article, which I think people should be thinking of, is that that intent, you can predict what that intent can be. And in fact, the best way to predict that intent is to create terms that people will be searching for in the future. So this idea of coming up with terminology and owning the term, and of course, thinking I'm going to build demand for this term in the future. So I'll build product and content assets around it now. So Google's aware that my site is the authority. Cough, cough, inbound marketing as a term is a perfect example of this, right? HubSpot creates the term or actually builds it, but has a whole lot of content. They own it. And so the course people now are now searching for it, whereas five years they weren't. HubSpot ranks for it. Well done. So just that idea of predicting intent and Google will look at various factors. People could be sharing more about inbound marketing apps. So social actually becomes one of the intent factors that feeds into their algorithm. Think about that with your site and your content assets and plan it for the future. Fantastic insights, Craig. All right, finally on to our quote of the week, Craig. And this is from Scott Harrison. Now, Scott Harrison spoke at Inbound 18, and I really loved what he was all about. But here's a quote that he gave, not at Inbound 18, but one that he's given before. It said, it should be cool to give, it should be cool to be generous, and it should be cool to say yes to helping out. And I think that's cool. Now, I wanted to mention because he's about to release a book called Thirst, where he talks about a lot of the stories of the people he's helped in his journey to, you know, give people the ability to get clean water because he actually discovered a lot of diseases and issues that people had was because the lack of clean water. And so a lot of those stories are actually in there. So, like, if I read what the, the book is about, it says it's a story of redemption, compassion and a mission to bring clean water to the world. Hits the shelves on the 2nd of October. And basically, if you follow a link there, what was happening was that if you buy the book... All the proceeds, 100% of the proceeds go towards funding water projects around the world, which I thought was rather cool. And it was what was really funny. It was when he was talking about the book, he actually said he thought that by writing the book and all the proceeds out of that would actually be for his children's college fund. And then he actually realised it's actually not about him or about his kids. It's actually about the people that have made it possible. So he then went well, I'm going to put everything I get back into building more water projects around the world to help others. So I thought that was rather cool. Actions speak louder than words. That's right. So there you go. I definitely encourage you to have a look. I've already pre-ordered the book, so, Excellent. so we'll have a read of it and share, share our thoughts with it. Now, there's some great bonus links in the show notes. Uh, while you're not driving, walking on the beach, jogging and listening to us, please go back and have a look. We'd love if you could take a shot of this episode and share one thing you've actually learned and be generous towards others and help out the community. So Because it's that. cool. It's cool. That's right. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we look forward to next week. Until next time, Craig. Catch you later, Ian. Thank you for listening to this episode of HubShots. For show notes, resources, HubSpot news, including practical strategies you can implement, visit us at hubshots.com.